Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. In the city of Los Angeles, in the city of angels, from the Big Apple, also in New York City. Welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. That was a burp. I am Dave, the caregiver's <laughs> caregiver <laughs> at caregiverdave.com. Yes, live radio, folks. Along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruber, at thecaregiverspace.org. Say hello, Adrian. Hi. Hi. Uh, also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including, gosh, there's a whole bunch of them, iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, the list goes on. In fact, we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast in the, of the top 50 on Player FM. That's a big deal. And number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot. That's a big deal. And number two caregiver podcast on CaringVillage.com. Not sure who they are, but it must be a big deal. Uh, and we do have an exciting show planned for you today. Leonie Rosenstiel's passion for helping people navigate the maze of elder care began when she watched several of her relatives become incapacitated. And she spent over 19 years researching the problems within the system, which there are many, in order to help herself and her clients create positive outcomes. Leonie regularly coaches and consults with individuals and families. She has a master's degree in public health and is also a certified mediator. And she wrote Protecting Mama, Surviving the Legal Guardianship Swamp, and also created the Day Spring Empowerment Summit and the Day Spring Empowerment Course to help others. Welcome to the show, Leonie. Thank you, Dave. Nice to be here. Likewise. But before we begin, I do always like to thank my last week's guest who was on here. Uh, and that was about the four-letter word that will rock your world. And that four-letter word is love. Kim Sorrell is a director of humanitarian organization, popular speaker, and author of two books. And it's a great interview. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com or any of the other 26 global networks that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Well, welcome to the show, as I said, and I always like to ask my guests just who is Leonie and why was she placed on this earth? I think I am here right now for helping people and trying to get people to feel better and feel more comfortable especially around caregiving. And actually, Kim's a friend of mine, which is very funny. Get out of here, really? No, I actually do know her, yes. Did you know she was on the show last week? No. <laughs> what a small world. It's a small world after all. Uh, she was a great guest, and it was a great show. So it's nice that you know. You know, they say birds of a feather flock together. I hope so. I think so. All right. Well, let's get going here. Why do you say that the attitude of gratitude can save your sanity? Well, um, I like to suggest to people that they make three lists. One of them is a list of things you cannot control. And there are a number of those. If you're a caregiver, one of those things is the actual physical condition of your loved one, whether that progression is going in the direction you would like it to go, or it's going in a direction that you don't particularly like and you wish it would change. And there are a lot of people out there who take responsibility somehow. They internalize, oh, this is not, it's not going well today. I must have done something wrong. Mm. And so if you can let go of that and you can let go of whatever else you know you can't control because we all have things we can't control in our lives. It comes from the outside, and it is stronger than you are. It is more powerful than you are. And without the acknowledgement that it is, you keep fighting it. Right. You keep wanting to fight it. So if there's one list, that's the first list, and that's the list of things 
that you're not responsible for, which is a nice thing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, the Caregiver Dave uh, Facebook group started a um, online support group uh, webinar and we just had our third one, and Adrian's going to Adrian's going to show up one day. We just know <laughs> she is. <laughs> and um, we're talking about special problems. Uh, for example, we've got a caregiver in Georgia who has no problem getting respite and government assistance and this and that. And then we have another one in West Virginia, and she just says, "West Virginia sucks. I can't get anything." You know, and she's got to like yell at people and uh, say, "Well, we don't have that. We don't offer that." And she just can't get any stuff in West Virginia. Um, is she out of luck? Are you familiar with the different places in the country? Um, uh, different places are in different places in response to the need. And one of the good things that can happen when people get together is they can make it really clear to the public officials that there's a need out there. Hmm. And if they don't, if, if one person even with all the goodwill in the world and all the time in the world and all the energy in the world goes and petitions. It's just one person. And one thing I've discovered in years of being a citizen advocate in my legislature in Santa Fe is one person is one person, but a group is a bunch of people who elect officials and they are more likely to listen to a group of people who can vote them out of office than they are to listen to one person, no matter how just the cause is. Yeah. Well, this one person in West Virginia is overwhelmed and is all alone. She's got five siblings and none of them will help her. Mm -hmm. I think she's chained to this house and she's chained to her husband's uh, disability. So I don't know. I don't know what hope I could give her. Um, One of the lady in Georgia said she's going to make some phone calls on her behalf. So that's so cool. And, Support groups. One can always help the other. And uh, sometimes it it just takes a squeaky wheel, you know, to make a change. Well, it might take a few squeaky wheels and people calling in from out of state saying, hey, what's wrong with your state might actually wake up a few people. Well, the other thing is caregivers are much too quiet about their problems. Right. Analyze them and they don't go for help. Going to ask the government for help, you got to get a lot of people to do it. You do. Or they won't won't hear you. It doesn't matter that there are as many caregivers in this country as there are and how much we save the government. Uh, If we don't ask for anything, we're not going to get it. So chances are West Virginia does suck when it comes to caregivers, huh? There's- yeah, <laughs> it could very well be. There are plenty of states that are not up to date on things and they don't yeah. realize what caregivers do for them. <clears throat> and sometimes that's a problem and they need to be educated. So we should make up some uh West Virginia suck bumper stickers <laughs> and tell them that we're going to distribute them all over the country. And West Virginia can be known for that instead of what it is. What are they known for? Coal, coal, coal. <laughs> is that what it says on the West Virginia license plate? Coal country. <laughs> I don't know. It could. Uh, Joe Manchin. That's what it says. Uh, Manchin. Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> Yes, it does. He's been a good guy lately. I can't put him down. Um, Second question. How can I give myself a micro vacation? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, Even a mini micro vacation would be nice (laughs) without leaving my loved one alone. uh, Right. Okay. This is for people who are not driving or operating machinery because I'm going to ask them to close their eyes. (laughs) Not a good thing to do when you're driving. Okay. Okay, if you just sit quietly and close your eyes and put your feet on the ground and just relax. First thing you'll notice if you look inside yourself is where you hold your tension. Everybody holds it a little different. Some people have it in their shoulders. Some people keep it in their stomach. Some people have it in their low back. It's like a ball that contracts. And as you sit there with your eyes closed, just take a nice deep breath in for four counts. Mm -hmm. 
and out for eight counts, just twice as long as you breathed in. And look to that place where you felt the tension. See if you can figure out on a scale of one to 10, what number you're at. Now take a nice, slow, deep breath in again for a count of four. And out for a count of eight. Look to the same place. See what number you're at. And one more time, you're going to take a nice, slow, deep breath. In for a count of four. And out for a count of eight. Just nice and slow. And now open your eyes and see how you feel. Relaxed. Exactly. <clears throat> what, do, what do caregivers need? They need less tension. I just went on a mini vacation, huh? Exactly. Micro, a micro vacation. Micro. <laughs> I didn't oh, want to I promise. Understand. If it's a mini vacation, then I over delivered, right? <laughs> Everybody has time to breathe. Right. And you can do that in a couple of minutes. You can even be sitting right next to your loved one's bed and just go on a little micro vacation. Mm-hmm. Breathing is so important. I mean, that's our theme song. You, you can't hear it because we're taping this, but uh, just keep on breathing. Exactly. And, and how you breathe is also important. Mm-hmm. Yes. How you breathe really helps determine how tense you are and how anxious you are. And if you yes. can teach yourself to calm down and re-regulate, you've got a lot of the battle one, a lot of it. And the, I, I never finished the attitude of gratitude. Should I go back and finish sure. it? Okay. Sure. The second list is the list of things you know you can control. Because there's always a bunch of things that you haven't been thinking about that actually they're in your control. It might be what people are eating. It might be how hot it is in the house. It might be any number of things, but you control those things. And it helps you to know what you can control. The third list is the list of things that are either beautiful or that you love. And you'll notice that the two lists of things that you can control and that are beautiful and you love, there are two of them. And there's only one of the list of things you can't control. So you have more control than you think, and you have beautiful things in your life, and you have things that you love in your life, and they'll still be there, regardless of the fact that there are some things out there that you can't control. So this is helpful in developing an attitude of gratitude for the things that you love and the things that are beautiful and the things that you have been given to control, and they're yours. Those are your things. And you can make a difference with those things. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Where'd you get this stuff from? I got it from experience. I was a a caregiver for nine years for my mother before a commercial guardian took her over. I was also a caregiver for my husband for seven years. And so if I did not have this information, I don't know what I would have done. I really don't know. (laughs) Make you very wise. (laughs) So let's talk about power of attorneys, because that's a controversial topic. Some people say, oh, yeah, yeah, you got to get one. And some people uh, from experience have found once you have a power of attorney, now you've got Social Security coming after you. Like my sister, um, socially after my mother died, they wanted their money back because they refused to pay the hospital because she died two days before, you know, the end of the month. And she says, I'm not paying you anything, you know, (laughs) and besides I'm not a power of attorney anyway. So heck. So what's your opinion on that? Well, I've had powers of attorney. I haven't had that particular problem. (laughs) Uh, That that doesn't mean you don't have problems. Um, What tends to happen if people want to go for uh, a guardian, somebody wants a guardianship, You get into court and what happened to me was the judge negated my mother's powers of attorney. So she didn't have them anymore. Mm 
I had been using my mother's power of attorney to take care of her finances for about nine years. How can they negate it? Oh, they just do. They do it regularly. And why? Uh, They want to appoint someone else. They want to they want to appoint a stranger. They want to appoint a commercial entity. Uh, There are any number of reasons why. And they can do that. They have the legal power to do that. So did they? Yeah, they did. After after the nine years, my mother then had another almost nine years of commercial guardianship after after work out. Um, she wasn't very happy. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. She asked me to write it and to go on a crusade to try to prevent it from what happened to her from happening to other people. Wow. What was and, her, what was her ailment? Uh, she had dementia and there's oh. a stage in dementia where people get very, very confused and they can easily be manipulated by people who do not have their best interests at heart. It is my belief that that's what happened to her. And she believed that later when she got a little more clarity and calmed down a little bit. There's a stage where people are confused about timing. They're confused about where they are, when they are, how they are. I mean, I sat in my mother's uh, competency hearing and heard her say that she spent time at the court of Versailles. Well, nobody spent time at the court of Versailles in 1789. So, yeah, I mean, people are confused. They are legitimately confused and it's not her fault, but people can use that and manipulate you. Take advantage. Right. Yeah. Well, so does it take a community to care for someone who's incapacitated, can one person do it? Or is that a recipe for burnout? Well, it is a recipe for burnout. For one person to try to do it 24-7, I was sitting in a dentist chair last year, and he had a new technician, and she asked me what I did. And when I told her, she said, oh, my father-in-law is having the most horrible problem. Um, You know, his wife has dementia, and he's taking care of her. And the two kids, they'll come on the weekend. One of them comes one weekend. The other one comes the next weekend. But he takes care of her during the week. I said, when does he sleep? Uh, She said, gee, you know, I don't know because my mother-in-law is out wandering at night. And they lived in a rural location. So she could easily get hurt. So uh, I said, you know, you got to get some respite. You can call a couple of agencies that I know and, you know, just find out about whether they can help you. But are you able to stay up five days without ever sleeping? (laughs) And then somebody comes and and spells you for a day or two. (laughs) You can't do that. I can't do that. He can't do that either. And, and be responsible for somebody else's well-being. No, you can't do that. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, you can try, but it's only going to last so long until you're so exhausted, you sleep, and they're going to go out wandering anyway. And, and then somebody's going to come and see that they're out wandering. How come you're not taking care of them? There and are then some it, precautions that need to be taken so that right. people don't wander. It's hard. Oh, it's very, very hard. If you're alone, it's extremely hard. Uh, help is always, people don't want to say, I need help, right. but they need help. They do. Everybody needs help sometime. Yeah. Uh, Adrian, were any of your um, recipients, your husband or your mother-in-law or your mother, <laughs> uh, <laughs> wanderers, No, that's one thing. I was very fortunate about that. Uh, No one in my family had Alzheimer's or dementia. Uh, Steve had dementia for three weeks before he died. Um, And the doctor thought it was just because he couldn't. It was his way of escaping what was going on Uh. rather than the kind of dementia that other people have. Yeah. So you can actually take yourself into dementia, huh? If you want. Well, he seemed to have. <laughs> you just disassociate from reality because it's too painful. It's too yeah. painful. Yeah. 
I think my grand, one of my grandmothers did that. She had broken her hip and she was in the hospital and she had been operated on. But after the operation, she never quite came back mentally to where she had been mm. before. And I think part of it was just being completely immobilized. And she wasn't used to that. She's a very active lady. Yeah. And it was a real shock for her. Yeah. You know, um, we talk about... Um, how do you know when someone is coming down with dementia? Because doctors are very hesitant to, to diagnose that. You know, my mother and my mother-in-law both had it. And it's hard for my mother because she was a very lovable, kind of a Gracie Allen, Edith Bunker kind of a person. And she was always kind of dingy and always kind of forgetful. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until she called me in the middle of the night and wanted to know if AM or PM meant it's lunchtime because she went to lunch and it was dark outside. And so, I mean, that was, that was a clue <laughs> that something oh, was wrong, you know, but it took that long because she was always kind of, you know, this free spirit dingy person, very lovable. But um, what do you find? Uh, is it hard to figure out if you have dementia? Do you go take the test, you know, and ask who's the president and what day is this? And, <laughs> Count backwards from 100 in increments of seven. I mean, well, I don't I don't really count back from 100 in increments of seven all that well myself. But um, actually, a lot of times it's denial. Uh -huh. People don't believe it. And I know I was very guilty of that. I did not believe it when my mother started acting not like herself. My mother was a college professor. And so she was really, really good at covering up. Uh-huh. But um, you begin to understand that someone's not functioning properly when you go to a restaurant that you've been to a number of times and your mother goes to the ladies room and doesn't come back. And you uh, wonder <laughs> what on earth is going on? Is she all right? Did she fall? You know, some problem. And I went back. I went in there and she said, how do you get out of this place? There was a door right next to her. Mm -hmm. How do you get out of this place? Here, you just open this, Mama. Um, the other way you can find out, which I, I thought she was upset about something that day. And I thought, well, I'll wait and see if it settles. And the next time I went to take her to lunch, I walked in and there was blood all over the kitchen. I walked wow. in the side door by the kitchen and I saw blood. And my mother's standing there staring at the wall and bleeding. And I, I get her to the car real quick. I take her down to urgent care. And I, I said to her, Mama, what was happening? She said, I was cutting food, but there was nothing on the counter. She was cutting her thumb. <laughs> Took 17 stitches. Oh, at that God. point, at that point, you're not covering anything anymore. Yeah. You have you're going to have people with you 24 seven. Somebody's going to be with you. Oh, yeah. Clue. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so there are clues and then there are clues and there are people who go home for like Thanksgiving or Christmas sure. and they open the refrigerator and there's an old shoe in there or they open the refrigerator and there's a scarf in there. Yeah. Right. And it's like a dead giveaway that something's radically right. wrong if there never was a scarf in there before. If yeah. there's an old shoe in the refrigerator all the time, that's different. Yeah, I used to bring my mother home, you know, for holidays and stuff. And then after a while, she just, you can tell she was just so uncomfortable there. She would keep getting up in the middle of the night. She didn't know where she was, wandering the halls, waking me up, you know, and I didn't get a good night's sleep. So I just decided, you know what, it's better to just leave her where she is and we'll visit her. That It just wasn't like it used to be. But what do you call, you talk about toxic, toxic, toxic secrets. Explain that. Okay, well, there are a lot of families that keep secrets from hmm. each other. Uh, yeah, sounds familiar. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right. I just won't tell Cousin Henry this, you know. But um, there are a number of categories in which keeping secrets can be harmful. One is medical. You don't tell people that you have a diagnosis. You don't tell people that you're not feeling well. You don't want to upset them. You don't want to make them feel obligated. And so you're going to take care of it yourself. It's kind of like being the only caregiver 24-7. You're going to take care of it all yourself. And suddenly you can't go out of the house because for whatever reason, physical or 
mental. You suddenly can't go out of the house and you haven't told anybody anything. So it all comes as a shock to them. They haven't had time to prepare. They can't help you because they're obligated in other directions. That's number one. Second one is financial. A lot of people will not tell their relatives anything about their financial situation. Mm. So if they're ever incapacitated, the relative has no idea where to turn. They don't know who, if there's an investment account, who has it. They don't know who the bank, what the bank is. Uh, nobody has a power of attorney. Nobody has any connection to those functions at all. And so if there are bills to be paid, they don't know how to use whatever money is there to pay them because they don't have access. And then it becomes a mad scramble because if someone's in a medical emergency, they need help now. They don't need help three weeks from now after the attorney has figured everything out. They need help now. And somebody has to make decisions and somebody has to make financial arrangements. And it's not going to be the person who's incapacitated because they can't. And so right. not, not trusting people in advance is a recipe for problems later, basically. Um, the third thing is religion. Some people actually do not stay the religion they originally were. They change. And to keep harmony in the family, they don't say anything. They observe whatever holidays they used to observe when their sibling or whoever comes to visit and they go to the church they used to go to and they don't go to the church they go to now. And this becomes a problem later when someone needs to make decisions and say, who is this person? What kind of uh, support services do they need? What kind of uh, religious services do they need? Uh, who's their pastor? Who's their rabbi? Yeah. You know, uh, they don't know. Uh, the last one is a fun one, and that's inheritance. If there's money to inherit, if there's anything to inherit, um, I'll tell you a fun story from my family. Uh, when I was 10, my father and his brother-in-law, my uncle, came to an agreement that anything that was on one side of the family would not be given as an inheritance to the other side. In other words, anything that belonged to my uncle would stay in my uncle's family and anything that belonged on his side of my father's side of the family would stay with my father's side of the family. Well, we get to the point where my mother is incapacitated and I have one cousin who keeps um, arguing that she wants my inheritance because it should belong to her. And she even tried that number on my uh, uh, the commercial guardian and it didn't work. It didn't work on my mother when she was in uh, capacity that she had capacity. And it didn't work on the commercial guardian later. But my cousin, apparently her father had not told her anything. And uh, so she believed that she was entitled and she was going to assert her entitlement. And if people know from the beginning that that's not going to happen, they might calm down and not want things that they know that they're not going to get. Wow. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Time sure flies when you're having fun. Can you talk about your book? Protecting Mama Surviving the Legal Guardianship Swamp. Oh, it was a swamp. And I managed to slash my way through it. And that's why I'm, I created the course and the summit to help other people do the same and try to avoid it if you can. Um, I told the story. I managed to get access to the documents, which is not easy. The court generally puts a veil of secrecy over them. And I had to fight for five years to get it lifted. And now I think I have a way to help other people get their secrecy veil lifted as well. And it will take so, five years. I hope not, because <laughs> now I know how to I know how to do it. But it it requires legal assistance. You can't just walk into court and say, I want my stuff because I've, I know people who've done that and it has not worked. They have said, go away. This is a secret matter. The court does not release this information, but the court can be made. Many times the court can be made to release that information for good legal reasons that it has no way to contest. And I'm living proof that I'm allowed to speak now. I had five, I had gag, a gag order on me. Really? 
uh, saying, you will never be allowed to speak about your mother. You will never be allowed to speak about guardianship. And here I am talking and I'm not afraid of going to jail. What state are you in? (laughs) New Mexico. Oh, my gosh. New Mexico sucks instead of West Virginia. (laughs) We have had some people who have done expose articles on what the problems have been here. And there have been many. Make the bumper stickers. Let's get them out there. New Mexico and West Virginia, and you might need to add five or six yeah. other states to it, like Florida. Well, thank it's you so much for you coming. Can't talk, you what? can't talk about your mother. I can't believe this. <laughs> <laughs> the judge made me an automatic orphan. <laughs> you know, <laughs> terrible. Only I mean, in America, right? Oh, it, can't, it has to stop. It really has to stop. They can't do that anymore. They shouldn't do that anymore. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, how do they get your book? They go to your website or Amazon? Um, or? Uh, you can go to Amazon. It's sitting uh, right there on Amazon and they're welcome to it. And actually, it's free if you've got Kindle Unlimited. Great, Ooh. great, great, great. All right. Well, thank you. And everybody, um, this webinar is uh, available to anyone on the 26 platforms or at caregiverdave.com. So check it out. And uh, caregiverdave.com is a free membership support community with lots of tools, resources, free gifts, as well as a Facebook page with the same name. And Adrian also has chat rooms and lots of support on her site, caregiver, thecaregiverspace.org, right? Is it the? And the Facebook, yes. And the and, Facebook page. Yes. Mostly the Facebook page with the same name, Caregiver Space. And please click the like button on whatever you, uh, what platform you're watching this on or listening to this on, because it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google search engine algorithms. So again, all my listeners, thank you all over the world for tuning in every Wednesday and making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. Look for our podcast on your favorite platform. So until next week, bye-bye and may God richly bless you. Anytime we suffer loss, we grieve. And a lot of people don't realize what even the grief process is. But it could be five to seven steps ranging from denial, I don't believe this is happening, anger, oh my gosh, I'm so upset this is happening, to a form of bargaining, how can I get out of this, to depression, which is a very serious thing because that often leads to suicide. And then finally, finally, after you realize you have no more control over your situation and you're totally okay with the new normal that it brings, that wonderful, wonderful place called acceptance. Sometimes it feels Like the sun will never rise Like the birds will never sing again Keep breathing Take it in and let it out Keep breathing It's gonna be okay Believe in A path Anytime we suffer loss, we grieve. And a lot of people don't realize what even the grief process is. But it could be five to seven steps ranging from denial, I don't believe this is happening, anger, oh my gosh, I'm so upset this is happening, to a form of bargaining, how can I get out of this, to depression, which is a very serious thing because that often leads to suicide. And then finally, finally, after you realize you have no more control over your situation and you're totally okay with the new normal that it brings, that wonderful, wonderful place called acceptance.
That's it. Another wrap. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'll try to send you those links by the end of the day. Okay, I mean, lovely. And if people the end of the day, you know. Oh, that is the end of the day. If people want to contact me, you have my email there that you yes. can put out there. All right. And they're welcome to contact me directly. What is it? L dot Rosensteel one at okay. Gmail. Very and good. I, and may I have yours? Yes. Um, Adrian at org. It's A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E. Okay. Okay. That was great. Thank you. Well, we're going to bring on oh. our next guest. Thank you so much. for Hope coming I'll see in. you again sometime. Appreciate it. it was a great interview. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Crushing cancer. Yeah, right. <laughs> hello. <laughs> well, hello. I wasn't expecting two people. Hello. How are you? Yes. This is Adrian Guberg, my co-host. Hello. Hello, how are you? Do you prefer uh, Ms. Cooper or Adrian? Adrian. Adrian's very good. Okay, excellent. Well, good Good afternoon. So you're a cancer crusher, huh? I hope to be. I am trying to be. Well, let's go and get started then. Sorry that we're a little behind. No worries. Sometimes uh, technical issues cause problems. Yeah, well, it's, uh, b- believe me, from the world of ER, I'm with you. So occasionally technical problems cause cause issues for us too. <laughs> so okay. well, you're, you're right on right now. Everything seems cool. <laughs> good, good. Let me bring up what I need to bring up and we'll get going here. Is it Kerry Forrestal or is it Dr. Kerry Forrestal? How do you want to be referred to as? Uh, uh, whatever you feel comfortable with. So a lot of folks have been going with Dr. Kerry. That seems to be okay. a, a thing. <laughs> Yeah, that does seem to be a thing these days. When it's just you and I and we're not on air. Yeah, when we're not on air, please just carry. So (laughs) I'm I'm not very formal. All right, let's get going. Three, two, one. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. In the City of Angels in Los Angeles and from the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg at the caregiverspace.org. And we're coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radi- radio, radio podcast <laughs> networks. On I love like that, radio. If, if you say radio, you do- Global you audio and video platforms. As I said, 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio. Oh, my. Shall I go on? No. Oh. In fact, we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM, number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60. That's not easy to do. And number two caregiver podcast on caringvillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today, don't we, Adrian? Yes, we do. I've got a lot to do today because I've got to catch a plane at first thing in the morning to Philadelphia, where I'm going to meet the one and only Dr. Oz, Senate candidate for the state of Pittsburgh, I believe, and uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Did I say the state of Pittsburgh? If you've ever met anybody from Pittsburgh, they think they're their own state. He's right on the money. The last time, the last time I was in Philadelphia, I wanted to get a cheesesteak sandwich, which I did. 
I wanted to um, have a picture with Rocky, which I did, you know, the statue. Had to wait yeah. 20 minutes in line for that. Yeah. And then I wanted to run up the stairs to the whatever that was. Seven. And I was and I was just too tired. And I said, next time. But I don't think <laughs> I'm going to do it this time either because I have a sore hamstring from falling down in a parking lot because I was stupid enough to walk in a planter. But enough about me. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Carrie Forrestal, emergency medicine doctor and author of the book, Crushing Cancer, a patient's complete guide to managing a cancer diag diagnosis. Diagnosis, that's how you say it, right? Started in EMS at the age of 16. Get out of here. Nobody starts EMS at the age of 16, do they? When you work for an American Legion ambulance, you can. Oh. They were old World War II vets who said, I was killing Nazis at your age. Yeah, come on. So, and okay. the, the other kicker there was my mother was an ambulance driver. So I was 16 with my mommy. Nice. So they, they let me go ahead. I see. And you volunteered for 17 years at various EMS agencies around New York City. Ocean lifeguard for seven years. Yes. Um, I don't know. With OKNS. OKNS. Okinos. Okinos. Whale and Seal Stranding Organization on the east end of Long Island. Wow. Are they still there? They've changed. It's it's now uh there's another organization. These th these organizations change over time. I forget what the name of it is off the top of my head now, but yeah, great fun Adrian, running around. Adrian is a save the whale kind of a person, aren't you, Adrian? <laughs> I don't Yeah, of course. Of but... course you are. <laughs> I I my other place is on Fire Island, so I'm a long. <laughs> I, I have chased seals in the middle of the night on Fire Island. Uh, we, we have done that, so yes, so it's great out there. And so my gosh, we had a lot of dolphins last year. Yes. Yep. Yeah. No, it's right. been uh, it's neat out there. It's lovely. So doing your part to rid uh, Fire Island of seals. Okay. <laughs> Currently an attending physician in a trauma center in Maryland. But before we get started, let me take this moment and thank my last week's guest, um, Kim Sorrell. And she wrote a book about the four-letter word that will rock your life. And that word is love, L-O-V-E. So just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of the other 26 global networks that I mentioned earlier, iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, etc., all right, enough of that. Dr. Kerry, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your time. Hey, it's our pleasure. And I always like to ask my guests, who is Kerry Forrestal and why was he placed on this earth? Got to think about that one, huh? <laughs> Did we lose Dr. Kerry? Frozen. I hate when that happens. Uh, <laughs> All right, you got to start over because we didn't hear a word you said. <laughs> if you can give me one second here, I will switch All right. Wi-Fi's and maybe we will get a better. And you have a booster somewhere in the house? Less yeah, that happens to me. I'll switch rooms and uh, my phone, even though I tell it and it thinks it's smart enough, it's not smart enough. I got to help it. You know where that place is that saves the whales in Long Island, Adrian? You ever heard of it? Yeah, it's out in Riverhead. Mm. So it was Okinos, and it is now it's now based around an aquarium. Mm. So uh, your your question was, who is Carrie Forrestal? So um, <coughs> yeah, who is he? Uh, <laughs> my my wife would tell you the maker of messes in the kitchen. Uh, my parents would tell you the driver of blood pressure. Um, and why was I put here? Uh, still working that out, but I. I think if I, I look at my pattern is hopefully to help a few people who are in a rough place. My dad is my dad is an Irishman. No, he's a proper Irishman from Ireland, the Midlands of Ireland. And he always said for his, you know, he's an Irish immigrant who came with a mechanic, you know, with mechanic skills. And he has a house in the Hamptons now. He was in the Air Force out there. Oh, house, you know, and he goes, as good as we've been treated in this life, you have to give something back. And, and I've always taken that to heart as good as good as life has been to me. I mean, those are wonderful adventures. Sure. Um, and, and as a doctor, I mean, it's such a 
you know, such a privilege to help people out, but you, you got to give something back. So, you know, you, you go to Haiti for the medical mission trips and you, you do the things that are more than you have to, because yeah. how else and you can, is it hard? Is it hard going to Haiti and, and volunteering like that? Or is it just such a joy? Or uh, both? People are a joy. The, the people are joy. <laughs> uh, they're just, they're just wonderful. They're such wonderful, wonderful people who've been given such a, a rough hand. Uh, and yep. it's incredibly frustrating, but it's um, hard. It's, it's backbreaking and it's long hours and, and uh, you don't eat well, right? No, no. They, uh, the, when we're at the mission compound. Yeah. I mean, the, the chef there is just fantastic. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's basically power bars, you know, all day long and, and 90 degree heat. And it's you been, come, it's been and years you now home, since I've done it. You come home weighing less than when you went, right? Yeah, it's a great weight loss program, uh, you know, especially if you happen to pick up some of the the delightful things that you can get in Haiti. So now my wife is a gourmet cook and we all went on a missions trip to Mississippi, Habitat for Humanity. We built a few houses down there and she was in charge of the cooking. And that is the first trip. Everyone said that they actually gained weight on a missions trip. <laughs> Would she have any interest in coming to Haiti? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> All right. Um, why did you write this book and how does it apply to your caregivers? Give us the title again of the book. So it's called Crushing Cancer, A Patient's Complete Guide to Managing a Cancer Diagnosis. So I wrote Great it. title, by the way. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so I wrote it. There are a few reasons. Um, you know, it seems strange to some people why an ER doctor is writing a book on cancer. But oh, yeah. during cancer care, right, where's the first place you go in a lot of things when things go wrong? Because you come to the ER and we see a lot of things that could have been prevented, avoided, if mm. people had access to good information. They say, well, you've got the internet. The world of information is at your hands. But yeah, sometimes that doesn't work out. My favorite <laughs> of those, it wasn't a cancer patient, but my favorite of those was a guy who came in with an echinacea tea bag stuck in his nose that had abscess. Uh-huh. And I asked him, why? Why would you put a tea bag in your nose? Uh, the internet. Uh, they said it was good for migraines. And they left it in there for so long, it got infected and almost abscessed up into his brain. So the internet, you know, there's a whole chapter in there of how to stay away from nonsense information. You know, you stay on the .orgs and .net and .edu and that sort of .gov, but stay away from .coms. So there's that. <laughs> There's also the element that we diagnose a lot of cancer. People come in with a cough or, you know, my shoulder. We had one poor guy. He was a husband of our, one of our nurses came in golfer. He was in his seventies, just really living life, came in for a shoulder thing and went home with lung cancer and it didn't go well. So, and then finally. That happened to my husband. He went in with peritonitis. We thought that was bad, but when they took, when they took a scan to figure out where to operate, they aimed a little too high and they caught his lung cancer. Oh my goodness. Yeah. They, they, we do a lot, you know, they put a little bit higher up into the chest on most of those. Right. I, I'm amazed at how many times you pick up lung cancer on a belly scan. It, it happens That's a lot. Right. So, and my brother went in to um, uh, get, he had prostate cancer oh. and they, they put in this little um, rice size marker and they're going to put a laser, right? Aim the laser at it or something like that. And they missed, or they put the, the marker in the wrong place and it burst a blood vessel and he almost bled to death. Oh no. So what was considered a very minor surgery, I guess no surgery is minor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Things can, can go off the That's rails. That's why they make you sign those papers. Yeah. Lots of big stack of papers. So, you know, figure if you really mean it. And so, but yeah, no, any surgery can, can go badly. A- anytime there's anesthesia, there's any complications from infection. No surgery is a small surgery. Mm. So absolutely. So, but, and the third was that cancer runs very strongly in my family. So grandma, two bouts of um, uterine cancer, uh, grandfather died of bladder cancer. Mom's working on her third bout of lung cancer, but she's doing great. So it runs very strongly in the family. So, how, so old, how old are you? I'm uh, 58. Uh, I, I used to be 58. And, um, <laughs> so how, so far, so good with you? No. Um, yeah, no. And so far, uh, you know, I, I've no pallops or anything. Uh, no, I, I have been lucky. Um, I, I came from a family of smokers, but I never smoked. 
So, you know, that mom picked up lung cancer, not, not the biggest surprise in history. And, you know, I worry for my siblings who did smoke and I got a lot of secondhand smoke, but, you know, I, I stayed away from the smoking aspect of it. So that's a major risk factor that I've avoided. Yeah. Um, you know, so other things, uh, you know, just doing the due diligence, just keeping, keeping an eye on things, making my appointments like, like I should with the doctor. Yeah. Is Do that why they always it, ask? Uh, I'm sorry. Regular scans or what? Uh, usually blood work. Occasionally we'll do, um, uh, I'm at low risk for, for some of the cancers. Prostate doesn't run in the family. So a PSA, you know, would certainly do yeah. um, those sorts of things. Keep, keep you whole. And you listen, listen to your body. If you have something that is not right. Right. Uh, you froze again. One. Are we back? We didn't hear any of that. Yeah. The so, all right. So, the, uh, you know, if, if you listen to your body and, and kind of convey to your doctor what's going on, you know, you'd be amazed. Uh, there are certain things that we hear that we know right away we have to have a concern. Painless uh, blood in the urine. All right. We, we're immediately thinking, you know, this guy has kidney or bladder cancer. If, if a woman who is postmenopausal has any uh, vaginal bleeding, okay, that's uterine cancer until proven otherwise. Those sorts of things. So, you know, what about blood in the stool? Blood in the stool would be a, a concern. There are a lot of benign reasons to have blood in the stool, but yeah, absolutely. If you start having blood in the stool, I would definitely get it checked. Even though sometimes there are, it's just hemorrhoids, no? Sometimes, yeah. It's I mean, it, it, the um, I, I can do the blood tutorial in stool. I'd be happy to do it. It's, <laughs> no, it's no. Actually, depending on the color, tells us how far up and downstream it is. If it's bright red, it's going to be hemorrhoidal. If it's black, it's going to be from your your stomach or your small yeah. intestine. And the red, the maroon, is from the colon, diverticular bleeds, that sort of thing. So, and now you can become a gastroenterologist. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Um, my mother will be happy about that. There you go. Uh, so let's talk about good days, bad days. Uh, sure. Everyone has those, right? Whether you Absolutely. have stage four cancer or whether you're a healthy, normal, young person. Yes. Your girlfriend just broke up with you. Uh, well, if my girlfriend breaks a bad up, day. she's going to be quite mad about that. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, no, definitely um, there, there is a chapter in there, a whole segment about good days, bad days, and especially for your audience caregivers. I mean, they're under, at, at the best of times, they're under enormous stress. They have a responsibility for another human life, you know, and, and you know, there's stuff going on in the world and, you know, the car breaks down and the shoelaces break and, and it's, it's never the big thing. You know, you can carry a lot of weight, but it's the, you're, you're in a rush and, and you break the shoelace and man, that's it. That's, that's the trigger. The car that's doesn't so start true. I mean, how, what do you do when you break a shoelace? You're, you're, you're just at everyone's mercy. Everyone's going to look at my shoes. Yeah. Um, I guess smart people have an extra set of shoelaces, right? Um, or, or loafers. <laughs> that would do it right there. Loafers. If we get the world on loafers, we're going to make a lot of happier people. That's a great idea. So, but the. Yeah, um, they should just make unbreakable shoelaces. That's, I mean, that's. <laughs> Titanium, but they're very hard to tie. <laughs> the only thing. So, but um, yeah, it, it's always the small thing that'll get you, you know, and it, you were saying about being smart. If, if you know that you're getting up on edge like that, you know, just if you can take the step back before you get to that breaking point, you know, if you see it coming, if you listen to, you know, you're under pressure, you see yourself getting more and more ramped up. Everybody has their things that they can do, you know, that they do do to try to break the pattern of just escalating tension, yeah. you know, and, and try to find that, um, try to find that escape, that relief valve. Um, you know, we talk about escape, we're talking about breaking the pattern. This is, uh, t you, you know, uh, Tony Robbins. Sure. Right. So, and he talks about breaking the patterns sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was, you know, some of it's good, some of it's bad, but that I thought was particularly good that, you know, you get into these patterns and they progress, but if you can break the pattern before it fills itself or fulfills right. itself, you know, so you talk about, you know, escapism and there's bad escapism, you know, there's drugs, there's alcohol, there's unhealthy things that you do that take you out of the situation, but harm you. But there are other things that you can do. You escape into music. Uh, you can put on a dumb, dumb film. You know, those are always great. Dumb and dumber. Your yes. <laughs> what's, your, what's your favorite guilty pleasure dumb film? What, what would be your go-to? It's just a superhero movie. Any. <laughs> Really? Uh, I guess Groundhog Day. 
So um, not, but that's a great one, right? So and how about you, Dave? Uh, grumpy old man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is that us? Is that so? But um, and yeah, like you know, beer fest. I mean, that's always a dumb one to just park your brain at the door. So Groundhog um, uh, Day. All right. Yeah, I want. Uh, I wanted to ask you. Do you do you write anything about can, uh, um, this is cancer brain? What's it? The fog, you mean, that people get? Yeah. No, the anger. In, in which particular part of it? Uh, the anger over having it or the anger over? At, that's, that comes from the patient to the caregiver. Sure. Yeah, actually, we, we talk a lot about that. Unfortunately, um, there's going to be angry days. There's going to be venting. And one of the things that, that really, from day one, you have to marry yourself to is that when somebody who is sick with, with cancer or with anything, the anger is not towards you. Right. Right. The anger is towards the cancer. You're just the most accessible <laughs> outlet of it. So if you let it instead of soak into you, kind of wash over you and beyond like a wave in the ocean, you don't take it so much to heart. You know, it's, if somebody's yelling at you for something you did, you crash their car. Okay. That's you. Right. But if they're yelling at you because they're really feeling miserable because of the cancer, it's not you. And you have to believe that you have to understand that. And, and doing that to my mind makes it easier to go the long haul and you will not suffer some of the negative consequences of absorbing negative emotions from others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, time is going so quickly here. We've got to <laughs> talk about uh, caregivers, you know, they burn out so easily, but um, we're talking about cancer mostly. So what are the three pieces of advice you would give to someone newly diagnosed with cancer or any long-term serious disease? Cause all of their friends have advice. They all know this great guy or this great clinic that, you know, it's cutting edge technology and world renowned. Uh, gosh, I've been hearing that story all over the place. Whether they, you have a stroke, whether you have cancer, there's always someone that they should go to. And, and that's a source of stress, isn't it? It can be. Everybody, everybody's got advice. And the best thing that you can do for a patient who's been newly diagnosed with cancer is listen. Right? They don't need, you know, they'll ask. They'll ask for what they need, but don't just shovel the stuff on because yeah. it creates uncertainty, you know, and uncertainty is a, is a source of stress. So the first three things I would say, one, um, when you get the diagnosis, start from hour one, day one, you know, that's a phrase we use in the book, hour one, day one, all right, to start to manage it. A lot of people will shut down when they initially get the diagnosis and they'll be offline for a variable amount of time. Some people who are real, just, okay, I'm going to take it there. They're ready to go in a day or so. Other people, it's a week, other people, it's a month. And you start to get to the point where you don't have that time to give away in treatment. So start from hour one, day one, get a good wingman, somebody that you trust, somebody who can listen with you um, and, and somebody who can help and start writing everything down, right? So from hour one, day one, start with your plan Two, listen to your care team, period, right? The internet and all the, the helper friends that you're talking about, they're all going to have a thousand different things. There are going to be people who are going to tell you, just take the Laetrile or take the molasses cookies. I saw one guy who was hawking molasses cookies to cure cancer online. Ignore all of the nonsense. Talk to your care team. You chose them for a reason. Well, the latest thing is the, uh, the parasite pill for pets, right? For oh, horses. Ivermectin. Yeah. Yeah. That one's... That's that's been a real uh, difficulty. Uh, I, I I mean, are they getting results? Are, are they claim that they're getting results with that? But yeah, who knows? Been, yeah the thing with uh, I mean, if you have river blindness, ivermectin's the stuff. Okay, you go take some. You know, if you've got river blindness, I'm all for it. Here's the thing, you know, especially in any medicine, especially emergency medicine, we want the simple fix. If you've got something that is very effective and really simple, we know ivermectin. We, we've been, you know, how many years, decades with this medication. If it cures COVID, excellent. All right, problem solved. I don't have to live in my guest room for six months so I don't infect my family before we could get vaccinated. I'm all for it. We're all for it. But you got to show us the data. You they were pushing it. it for cancer long before COVID came around. 
They probably were. I've seen the, I haven't seen ivermectin for it, but I'm, I'm sure somewhere out there, there's a guy doing it just, you know, it's an easily gotten medication that you can do a markup on tremendously. And, you know, they, they, they do these things and it makes you crazy. You know, you look at the example of Steve Jobs. You know, there's a guy who's bright enough to change the world with, the, you know, the computing thing. And he comes up with a very treatable type of pancreatic cancer, right? Pancreatic cancers, adenocarcinoma, the bad one, take you very quickly, you know, and it, it's hard, but we're getting better at, at treating it. But he had a slow moving one, which is called a neuroendocrine tumor. So he had the time, the cure rates are really up there, 70, 80, 90%, depending on when you catch it. And he went, I'm Steve Jobs. I'm smarter than everybody else. So I'm going to juice and meditate and do all these things. And as you know, he passed of, of the pancreatic cancer that was enormously treatable. And, you know, Isaacson, the guy who wrote that wonderful book about him, you know, said he kind of realized that he made the mistake. But by the time he realized he made the mistake, it was too late. So, you know, you run around with ivermectin or molasses cookies or laetrile or whatever else, you're wasting time. You know, yeah. they can promise you the world. These guys, you know, these, these charlatans can promise you anything because they're going to deliver nothing. And when they, when you come up dead, they're going to say, if you'd only come to us sooner, we could have helped you. But now you listen and to those guys. Never covered they by us. insurance. Yeah. They, they, they killed you. But if you come sooner, we could have helped. Yeah. So, and it makes, it makes you crazy. It really does. You see people you suffering needlessly. And, and do the things that relieve stress which makes the cancer yeah. worse. I mean, there are other things you can do, but listen to your care team. Definitely. Absolutely. I think most care teams now, you know, there's a, there's a real important division between alternate medicine and complementary medicine. You know, right. now, you know, so I use the example of the lavender candle, right? So let's say you go and you do radiation therapy or you do the chemotherapy and you're really feeling, you're really feeling bad. You light the lavender candle and it helps to calm you and it puts you in a more, more right. relaxed place. That's complementary medicine. But if right. you light a lavender candle and you expect it's going to cure your cancer, that's alternate medicine and it's, gar it's garbage. So it's not going to help you. So like I said, yeah, complementary medicine, we're all for alternate medicine has not been proven. And they have a, a, there's a joke in medicine. Do you know what you call alternate medicine that's been thoroughly, rigorously researched and proven to work? Medicine. <laughs> <laughs> All they have to do is do the studies and prove to us that it works and it's safe. And man, we're, we're all for it. We want more bullets in the gun. So we're not. So, and all like, those conspiracies about uh, we can cure cancer, but the pharmaceutical companies uh, are getting rich with cancer drugs. That's all baloney. I, I've yet to. I, I'd love to know if, if people are, are doing that and they're making all sorts of money. You know, it's like can I know about it? So, I mean, you know, so, but it's not true. The pharmaceutical companies, they're no angels. I'm not trying to say they are, um, but they have given us a lot of useful therapeutics. And now with immunotherapy, I mean, it's, we're really getting to a, an amazing day. You know, there've been four, there've been four phases of cancer care, right? There's been surgery from way back when, right? So we, there's even, uh, there's something, uh, yeah, you see that? Let me see if I can do that. That little guy back there, that, that thing in the frame, that's the Edwin Smith papyrus. And that is the oldest known medical text. And they describe taking care of cancers with surgery. And it's from like, a, you know, however many thousand BC. All right. So surgery has been the one that was the only thing that was the only game in town up until Madame Curie did the radiation thing. Then we had radiation. Then uh, Sidney Farber did his thing in the 1940s with leukemia kids. Then we had chemotherapy. Um, and now we have immunotherapy. They're finding that there are viruses that specifically attack melanoma. So you can inject somebody with a virus that will only attack melanoma. I mean, yep. we're living in an incredible age, you know? So yeah, uh, I, sorry, I went off on a bit of toot there. My That's apologies. Okay. No, therapy is really important. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. in the next 30 seconds, how can someone get a hold of you, read your book, uh, find out more information? So um, the book is on amazon.com and um, we're going to try to get it over onto Barnes and Noble. And then the larger project where we're trying to collect stories from cancer patients to create books specific to the cancers is at warriorstance.com. Okay. Warrior. Then you, cut out. Hmm? you cut out. Say it again. Warriorstance.com. Warrior Stance. Yep. S-A-N-C-E. 
Yes.com. And that's where we're trying to collect. It's a cancer journaling site. It's not a discussion forum. It's a place for people to keep online journals while they go through their chemotherapy. Oh. And the idea is first book, general, second book, or the next three will be the big three, which is lung, prostate, and breast. And then we'll start going into the colorectal and all those things, pediatric, um, if this pans out. So the first book was to raise awareness for that project. So... Wow. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. It was a great interview. Thank you. And, thank you. And I thank all our uh, people who listen to our show. Thank you so much for tuning in every week and making us the number one caregiver podcast. Um, I'm at caregiverdave.com. Please visit the site. Adrian is at thecaregiverspace.org. We both have Facebook pages with the same name, Caregiver Space and Caregiver Dave. And please check the like button below whatever platform you're watching this on so that Google can give us kudos with their algorithms and help even more caregivers. So until next week, thank you so much and God richly bless you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye. Ken. Thank you. Great show. We'll send you the, uh, the links later on today. Thank you so much. And uh, I would encourage you to uh, pick up a, a pre-sale copy of my book, I tell every guest that comes on because it's a book about wisdom. It's called Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times. I'll send you a link when I send you the other uh, things. And, okay, sounds good. Secret of the... Secrets, plural, from the hammock, H-A-M-M-O-C-K. Thank you. That's a good name. I like that. Okay. <laughs> Have a great Very day. Cool. I'm busy uh, reciting the, uh, the audio. Oh, I think I froze now. again. Oh, are you there? Take Bye -bye. care, guys. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you later, Adrian. Bye. All right. Bye. Have a good flight. Thanks. <laughs> Enjoy Philly. I will. I'll have a cheesesteak sandwich, uh, and I'll say, this is to you, Adrian. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.